Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, Callum here with a quick message from our wonderful, wonderful sponsor. Your home away from home is waiting for you at each of the resident hotels in London and Liverpool. You can enjoy excellent rooms in exceptional locations with heartfelt hospitality. Whitehall Sources is brought to you in association with The Resident, thoughtfully chosen destinations within thriving cities. The Resident offers relaxed enclaves from which you can venture out to experience the city your way with The Resident's insider knowledge. Speaking of insider knowledge, Whitehall Sources starts now. This whole thing is a load of nonsense uh, from beginning to end. And uh, we've made that clear in the, the statements that I've issued. There is absolutely nothing in those entries that constitutes uh, rule-breaking during COVID restrictions, OK? Mingling with uh, no, friends at checkers. No, when that's, you that, no that is absolutely not what those diary entries show. That is not what those diary entries show. And the whole thing is totally nonsense. Hello and welcome to Whitehall Sources. I'm Callum McDonald. It's Thursday, the 1st of June, would you believe, that we're recording on today. Thank you very much for being with us. You can follow and you can subscribe if this is your first time or if you've been around for a long time. Well, thank you very much. This is your essential insider look on politics, on how Whitehall works, on how Downing Street works, the current themes of the day and what they all mean in the grand scheme of everything. Here with us, as always, Kirsty Buchanan, former advisor to Theresa May when she was Prime Minister. Hello, Kirsty. Good morning to you. How are you doing? You well? You all right? Fighting the good fight? Uh, yes, I had a um, another uh, cancer-related operation on Tuesday, so if my voice sounds a little bit croaky, forgive me, because I've had a tube stuck down it for a... <laughs> For, for an operation, so it's a bit sore. Mm. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, I'm good. I'm in good spirits. Good. That's really good. That's really, really good. Regular listeners will uh, be keeping up to date with all that you're going through. And we love that you're making time for the podcast in amongst all of it. So thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, thanks for being there. Uh, right, lots to talk about today. We're going to talk about Rishi 
uh, going abroad, Rishi Sunak being abroad. So he's just back from the G7, of course, just the other day. Um, today he's hanging out with Emmanuel Macron at Et Al in Moldova. Um, just for the day, it's a bit of a whirlwind trip, that one. And next week he goes to the United States. So we want to discuss Rishi Sunak. And his, um, and his going abroad. So we'll do that in a bit. Plus, we've got some Boris Johnson, some WhatsApps, and a battle with the Cabinet Office to get to as well. Um, so that's very fun. But I think we should probably start with... Um... And, a bit of, and a bit of sex, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? Are we going to start with sex? Yes, we're going to start with <laughs> Pestminster, as it's, as it's called. Uh, and this is uh, news today from Political um, that have broken this story. Uh, long-serving Labour MP Geraint Davis has been accused of subjecting five younger female colleagues to unwanted sexual attention, both verbal and physical. I'm reading from Political. Uh, this is reported by Esther Weber and Aggie Chambry. They spoke to more than 20 serving MPs and Labour staff who described a pattern of excessive drinking, sexual comments and touching by Davis stretching back at least five years, directed exclusively at younger women in Parliament. He says in a statement, I don't recognise the allegations suggested and do not know who has made them. None of them, as far as I know, has been lodged as a complaint with the Labour Party or Parliament. If I've inadvertently caused offence to anyone... And I am naturally sorry, as it is important that we share an environment of mutual and equal respect for all. Those are the details of that. It feeds the wider story of difficulties in handling um, inappropriate behaviour, really, in Westminster. I'm struck, I suppose, by that last phrase, Kirsty, an environment of mutual and equal respect for all. It still seems quite far away for, for whatever reason. Yeah, it feels depressingly far away, doesn't it? Today, I mean, I don't, I don't want to get into the specificity of this case, uh, but to talk in generalities, I was the spad on duty. Uh, poor me on the day of the original uh, Sexminster or Pestminster story back under uh, Theresa May, where you will recall that um, uh, parliamentary aides had drawn up a list. Uh, as, to serve as a warning, if you like, to others about the MPs that people should watch out for. Mm. Um, and the allegations range from uh, serious sexual assaults to, you know, being a bit handsy or saying inappropriate things. And this, I think, uh, got leaked to Harry Cole um, originally, and it caused an almighty stir. And I, uh, it happened to sort of break on the on the Saturday and uh, I would think I was up at six and I think I finally finished at two in the morning. It was a massive, massive story. Mm. Um, uh, you know, it was even allowing for Brexit land, which was, uh, you know, we were at the coalface of Brexit land when I was at number 10. Mm. This was by far and away uh, the most uh, hectic Saturday shift uh, I'd ever done, and I and just to refresh people's memories, I was uh, the spad in charge. I, my original title was head of the weekend um, <laughs> because I was uh, nominally, at least, in charge of the Sundays uh, because I used to be a Sunday journalist. Uh, no one is ever really in charge of the Sundays. It's like <laughs> trying to be in charge of a bunch of half-starved ferrets or uh, crazy kit, crazy kittens or something. They don't, you know. Um, it's very much the wild west of political journalism and long may it rain for it is glorious. Um, 
Uh, but anyway, so so it was by far and away the most hectic day uh, I had, and it was or should have been at least a seismic moment for Westminster culture. It led to some wholesale changes in how uh, these sorts of incidents were reported, with an independent uh, reporting uh, system created. But nevertheless, uh, I don't think we've ever quite nailed. Uh, how that is done, and it certainly hasn't led to a particularly seismic change, wholesale change in culture. There has been obviously significant, but not wholesale. And one of the kind of underlying factors on this for me is drink. Mm. Now, there are still uh, a number of bars on the estate Westminster. You can drink in the restaurants and what have you. And look, I get that, you know. Um, the argument is MPs, you know, work long hours, but... Um, that argument gets a little bit thinner for me, in as much as uh, you know those bars were, you know, were originally created because uh, the sitting times were very different. There were lots of very late night sittings, but obviously the glorious influx of more women into the parliamentary system and more female MPs has led to uh, you know more family friendly working hours. So some of that denudes, and I just think. You know, I just want to say to, and it is men mainly. I mean, I don't, I can't think of a single incident where a woman has been caught up in these allegations. Um, but to male MPs, uh, particularly, dare I say, of a certain age, uh, if you can't hold your drink without getting handsy with young women or young men, then don't drink. Yeah. Don't drink on the estate. You've got a whole weekend to go home and booze it up with your friends as much as you like. But this is your job. It is a privilege. And you have a lot of uh, young parliamentary staff and aides, both men and women, who look up to you. And it is a position of responsibility and a privilege. And I don't think it's asking too much to say, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, just stay off the booze. If that's how you can, you know, mm. if you can't handle it, don't do it. Yeah, I, and I think that's just it's it, that's the that's the bit I think that that people listening to this and people responding to these ongoing stories don't get. So you know, workplaces may have a casual after work drinks on a Thursday or Friday or whatever, or you know, a Christmas party, but nobody has the sort of free reign to just mosey in and out of a bar between votes in the Commons. And that, that is literally possible in Parliament. I was quite surprised when, you know, I'd heard I'd heard all about it, but the first time I went to Parliament, which was what, a couple of months ago, and uh, it was there kind of mid-afternoon, the bars are all open, you know, the restaurants are available, you can, you can mooch in, you can mooch out. There are people around having drinks through the day. And I don't, I don't really, I just feel like that's such an old fashioned thing of the past. Journalism was kind of notorious for that sort of lifestyle, I suppose, drinking through the day. Let me tell you, that does not happen anymore. That's just not <laughs> much to my disappointment. But, but seriously, like, it, that's just not the way it works because everybody's grown up and realized that that's not actually a healthy way to function in what is a professional setting. Yeah, and look, oh my gosh, if the bringing down of a prime minister on something which was on the back, basically, a final straw point about an MP who went to the Carlton Club, Chris Pincher, uh, and drank too much and made a holy show out of himself mm. uh, and made one pass too many, although, you know, uh, you know the, the, the fact that, that Pincher was put in a, in a position of government responsibility 
uh, if I'm going to be kind, was questionable anyway. <laughs> yeah. um, you know that that was the last straw that you know that, that broke the you know the Boris Johnson premiership back, as it were. So I just don't know what uh, you know what needs to happen to MPs for them to realise that you know this is a huge responsibility, a huge privilege. Um, and keep your hands to yourself. I mean, it's just—it's not that hard, no. is it? You know, I don't—I have a responsible job. Uh, I don't go to a, a you know a, a staff uh, party and get smashed and behave inappropriately. I have—I mean, I've always, you know I'm not very good at holding my booze, so I have a kind of cut-off <laughs> mechanism around about two two glasses of wine anyway. But you know, I have a job of privilege and responsibility. Yeah. I don't abuse that by getting smashed and you know, chatting up younger members of the team. That's just toe-curling. Who does that now? Mm. It's like the 21st century. And if you can't, you know, like I say, if you can't trust yourself to to measure your alcohol intake, then just don't do it. Yeah. I should just say that a Labour Party spokesperson on the specifics of the uh, case we mentioned a moment ago, the Labour Party treats complaints of sexual harassment and abuse with the utmost seriousness and takes action in response to every complaint. We would strongly urge anyone with a complaint to come forward that allegations can be swiftly and fully investigated and action taken. Um, and I don't know, it's one of those things, isn't it? It's it's still shocking every time a new allegation is made. It is not uh, party-specific. It sort of engulfs all parties in different ways, for sure, but, it, you know, it's, it's across the House of Commons is the other part of that. Yeah, and I tell you, you know, I tell you the other important thing about this, you know, there is still an issue, and I would like to know the timeline in this particular story about two of the women, I think, have informally reported uh, complaints to the whips. There was no formal complaint made. There is still a culture where a lot of young aides will not mm. formally lodge complaints because they worry that it will impact on their career within politics and the backlash will come back on them. Until we have a culture in Westminster where people can genuinely feel that they can come forward and lodge formal complaints without any fear that it will come back on them mm. and impede their careers, then we are nowhere further forward than we were back in the days when I was dealing with this, which is, what, six years ago now? Yeah. Uh, that story will develop, I'm sure, in the course of the next few days. Uh, political leading the charge on reporting on that one. Right, we are recording on Thursday the 1st of June. And so today, Rishi Sunak is um, heading abroad. We're going to talk about his meeting with more than 40 European leaders, just quite close, actually, to the Ukrainian border, it's been observed. But he's kind of flying in and flying out, and then he's off to the US next week. So that's still to come on the podcast. But first, we must talk about Boris Johnson. Uh, <laughs> Must we? <laughs> <laughs> Today, by the t hopefully by the time you're listening to this, the 4pm deadline for the Cabinet Office to hand over Boris Johnson's unredacted 24 notebooks and all of his WhatsApp messages to the COVID public inquiry will have come and gone. It has been a mess of a situation. It has got really quite personal. Um, Oliver Dowden has been the target of a lot of animosity from Boris Johnson in the course of all of this. Uh, there's been a lot of back and forth. I suppose, wh why has it got so messy, Kirsty? This is a public inquiry into a, a pandemic. And so why is it so difficult for for government uh, ministers, current ministers, former prime ministers, why is it so difficult to achieve full cooperation in achieving um, an outcome from this inquiry? Why has that proved difficult? Uh, I think there are tram lines here between principles and practicalities, I think, for me. Um, 
uh, and I think the Cabinet Office has uh, ill-advisedly stuck on principles rather than accepting the practicalities, the political realities of of what they're being asked to do. Now, uh, the principle under which they are trying to operate is that, you know, a lot of this is unambiguously irrelevant, as they would say to the inquiry, and therefore uh, there is no need to hand it over. They are also saying, look, we have been open and transparent and have handed over you know, tens of thousands of documents for the inquiry. However, it is a judicial inquiry. Uh, a judicial inquiry is entitled to determine what it wants to see. Mm. Um, and I would find it very surprising if this went to a judicial review uh, that it wouldn't that the decision by um, uh, the inquiry that it wants to see these notebooks and these WhatsApp messages would be anything other than upheld. So, given that kind of political reality, given the fact that it's allowed uh, allies of Boris Johnson to, you know, to spin this into a kind of government cover up and what has Rishi Sunak got to hide, etc., etc. You know, I I am you know I am uh, bemused as to why they've let it get to the eleventh hour, um, and have been outmaneuvered, if you like, by Boris in this way. Um, and I, you know, look, I think the you know the the, the gigs up, as it were, just mm. you know, if you force it to a judicial review, I would find it astonishing that they weren't just ordered to hand them over in any event. So, accept yeah. and hand over. There is a you know, look, you know, there is a. There is a principle here, but, you know, it's just been kind of shorn of all its political reality for me. Yeah. And uh, once you've got to this position, just just hand them over. You've just got to kind of go with the flow a bit. A lot of the sort of consideration around this is that it's about protecting in some way Rishi Sunak's own WhatsApp messages from being exposed, if you like, and or, or seen disclosed is perhaps a less pejorative way of putting it. And I, I, and I suppose the, but the wider implications too, because w- would this be precedent setting? And it's, it's not all the time that we have massive public inquiries into massive pandemics, obviously. But does this, in some way, change the tone for future um, investigations into the actions of government? And is that in itself is that a bad thing? Well, it's precedent setting in as much as this is probably the first major inquiry we've had. Mm where WhatsApp has become a major tool of communication between officials and ministers and between ministers and ministers, if you like. Now, when the Matt Hancock uh, WhatsApp messages were made public by the journalist Isabel Okershot, we talked a lot about government by WhatsApp. And uh, I maintained then, and I still do, that actually, you know, the decision-making process you know, even in a pandemic, is made in meetings, it's minuted by officials, particularly during something like that, because everybody will have an eye to the fact that in a pandemic it's almost certainly going to lead to an inquiry at the end of it. So everyone will have an eye on history on that and their behaviours because of it. But what the Hancock messages showed behind that was, you know, an insight into how ministers were thinking politically, Mm -hmm. Um, and it kind of sets the tone of some of their motivations. Uh, so I think, yes, it is precedent-setting because WhatsApp has become such a communication tool. Now, it's interesting. I note that a lot of 
my contacts since the Hancock... Uh, they're not really leaks, are they? Voluntarily handed them over to a journalist <laughs> yes. um, uh, on the understanding that she wouldn't make them public uh, in perhaps the most... Yeah, the most historically naive act of the 21st century. Um, uh, so uh, there is there is no contact so hot that cannot be burned by a story that is good enough. Uh, Curses rules have come. So uh, since that that story, the Isabel Oakeshott mm. Hancock story, I've noticed a lot of my contacts have started to put a seven day. Yeah. Uh, you know, your, this message will explode in seven days. So I'm still getting WhatsApps, um, but they've got a seven-day time limit on that, and after that they vanish. It's a sort of very grown-up version of Snapchat, um, if you like. And, you know, and of course people use Signal as well for the same reason that mm. Signal, uh, you know, removes all your messages. I think it's after three weeks or what have you. Um, so, you know, you, uh, you know, the world moves on, you know, people yeah. don't just communicate by email anymore. People have long been cautious about what they put in emails. Uh, and I think I've said to you before, it used to frustrate me when I'd go to talk to an official about something offline, deliberately offline, and when I'd get back to my desk, you know, a civil servant, because they're nothing if not um, <laughs> mindful of... of and risk averse and covering their own backs. We go, we spoke, we agreed X, Y, and Z. I'm like, dude, it's literally why I came over so you didn't put it on an email. Uh, not that it was particularly dodgy or anything. It was just, you know, I didn't want it on an email for a multiplicity of reasons. But, you know, we move on from email to WhatsApp. Yeah. You know, WhatsApp becomes exposed as a problem. You put a seven-day time limit, you know, on it. And then the, you know, and and so we go on, you know, the world moves and, mm. you know, and and... This is where we are. I think it's perfectly legitimate of the inquiry to ask for them because it is clearly a communication, a commonplace communication tool now yeah. within government. Well, Not a decision-making communication tool, sure. but it is an important communication tool. That's where the conversation happens. And I feel like that is that is actually... We, we can't, we can't criticise the government on an exceptional basis here because I feel like all of us are having ongoing conversations in WhatsApp all the time. Um, you know, I will jump from a conversation in my family WhatsApp group to our work group chat and our, our you know, our Times Radio breakfast group chat about what's coming up on the programme. And there is a kind of just intermingle. That's just life. That is just what happens. And so there is no government exceptionalism in the use of WhatsApp. What I wonder is if we're we're struggling to pin down the the rules, the boundaries, the guidelines, the parameters on how these sorts of things should be used. And I have to say, in my own sort of thought experiment on this. I may have mentioned this before. I suppose the most extreme version of it is you ask government ministers to have one phone, and that phone is government property slash, you know, publicly owned. And at the end of their time as a government minister, they hand that back and everything on that is kind of archived in some way that is, uh, you know, in the public interest. But that is so draconian that it's it's impractical. That doesn't really make sense. But then, so what are, how do you enforce any sort of rules around? Because, you know, well, seven-day deleting messages isn't good for accountability, surely. No, it isn't. And, you know, and it's not, it is not draconian, but it is impractical. I mean, it is quite commonplace for... Uh, ministers and senior civil servants to have a second phone, right. a work phone. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it could simply, you know, if you want something not to appear on your work phone, you'll simply use your personal, personal one, phone. right? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, you invent rules and people invent ways of getting around them. Um, and, 
you know, the only, you know, the only rule of thumb we come back to is, you know, don't put anything, anything in text in any form uh, that you wouldn't like to see the light of day. Yeah. You know, don't say anything to anybody, you know, whether it's Chatham House rules or off the record or what have you, that you wouldn't like to see in print, mm. you know. Mm. If you have thoughts that, 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 that would make you squirm, to see them in print, then don't relay them to anybody. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, that's the simplest way of, yeah. of, of, you know, of conducting yourself. Um, you know, and you're always going to fall foul if you, you know, if you forget that. Yeah. Uh, and so or that... Potentially fall foul. Well, yes, indeed, indeed. And, and that's, that, you know, that, that, is, that has been a principle forever. <laughs> you know, don't put it in an email if you don't want everyone to read it, you know, in your workplace, basically. Um, okay. And a lot of the bets are off as well. Even just saying things face-to-face, if you say things yeah. these days, you know, in Chatham House rules or off the record or whatever, or lobby terms, you know, like I say, there is no story so good that you won't burn, you know, a journalist... Some journalists, not all, but mm. some journalists would burn contacts for. Yeah. And there is no story probably more important so far in the 21st century than a global pandemic yeah. and the government's handling of it. Yeah. Uh, so we will see what happens with that. The deadline, as I say, four o'clock on Thursday. And so I suppose we then enter the next chapter. As there is a wider consideration about the public inquiry, which is that some countries have finished their public inquiries. And here we are revving our engines and being held up by... <laughs> Boris Johnson's WhatsApp messages. I mean, it's very British, isn't it, the whole thing? <laughs> Quite ridiculous. Yes. Uh, thank God we, we came out of Europe so we didn't have to be burdened by its overweening bureaucracy anymore. <laughs> and we've become this rapid, nimble, quick machine of a Britain that we see today. <laughs> Cursed if you can. What a grenade of a point to end that particular conversation on. Uh, you can, of course, email anytime at hello at Whitehall Sources. Uh, dot com is the email address you need to put on the dot com which I almost just forgot hello at whitehallsources.com that's how to get an email to us when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at bluenile.com you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. We are so pleased that Whitehall Sources is your favourite podcast. Thank you for finding us. Our favourite hotel is The Resident, who have hotels in London and Liverpool. Don't just take our word for it, though, as trustworthy as sources as we might be. Take this review from Louisa from just a few weeks ago in January. She stayed in Covent Garden and said, Great location. Room was so comfortable and clean. Shower was the best we had. Mm. During our month in Europe. Close to shopping and restaurants and multiple tube stations, too. Covent Garden is the perfect area to stay. 
And let's double source this, shall we? Because East Coast Will stayed at the resident in February and said, don't hesitate to book your stay here, especially if you plan to attend theatre events. It's a quiet, restful oasis, a relaxed enclave even in a very busy city. We are excited to return. So why not come to London, listen to Whitehall sources on the way, and stay at The Resident for the full London experience. You can book your stay in The Resident in London or Liverpool. Just click residenthotels.com. Uh, right, we'd, let's go on because um, another uh, former Prime Minister's name has been associated with a story on inheritance tax today. Trussism returns. Never mind WhatsApp, says Political's Morning Playbook. Another long, throbbing headache for Sunak has become an all-out migraine. The Telegraph Splash launches a campaign with more than 50 Conservative MPs to scrap inheritance tax, arguing the number of homes affected has more than doubled since 2010. It's from the Conservative Growth Group, led by allies of Liz Truss. Liz Truss! <laughs> Good Woo-hoo. grief. Good grief. Now, I don't know if I'm... Yes, well, so Kirsty's now holding up her mug. Now, Kirsty has many political mugs, which every week make me laugh. This week's, Kirsty, would you like to tell us what your mug says? Uh, I bought this uh, at Conservative Conference last year because Conservative Conference last year, you will recall, was such a spectacular breakdown <laughs> in ministerial discipline... Uh, I wasn't alone in thinking that Liz Truss's premiership was not going to last very long. Um, And I am a tedious collector of political memorabilia. Uh, So I got a few things, actually. I got, you know, a water bottle and what have you. But I also got a mug that declares in Liz, we trust. Um, And, uh, yes, my actual favourite mug that I ever ever bought was one of... um, Tony Blair, and when you pour hot water in it, his nose grew all the way around the uh, <laughs> all the way around the mug. Sadly, someone broke that, which oh, was no. was most upsetting because that was by far and away my uh, greatest. I've also got a a Tony Blair. I'm not sure what what prompted this wheeze, but a very disturbing kind of Tony Blair card that if you move it, he turns into Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> Um, uh, which is very off-putting um, on a multiplicity of reasons. Well, yeah. um, but yes, I do love a bit of political memorabilia. You get versions of those um, those sorts of changing image fridge magnets which have Scottish men, and when you change the angle of them, they lift up their kilt and they're not wearing anything underneath. Yeah, I uh, when we used to go to Blackpool back in the... Just showing my age here a bit. We used to go to Blackpool Party <laughs> Conference... Uh, make the long, long, long train journey up to Blackpool. Um, because Blackpool is, uh, as Blackpool is, the, all the journalists in the lobby used to have uh, a kind of running annual competition for who could buy the most distasteful present. <laughs> um, and I bought one for a friend of mine who was a man, but a Catholic man. I, I say that because I, I, otherwise I find the whole thing slightly baffling. And I bought him a cowboy that if you put hot water in it, all his clothes fell off. And he was a very excited cowboy, let's put it that oh, way. Right. Um, and my friend didn't find this funny at all, uh, which, considering what he bought me, I thought was a bit hypocritical, but there you go. Um, <laughs> uh, he bought me a lolly, and you don't need to be a rocket scientist to work out what shape that lolly was in. Oh, I understand. Um, right, OK, an excited uh, lolly as well. Uh, this being Blackpool, um, I just, yeah, 
I miss those. <laughs> <laughs> miss those heady days. Those of heady days of Blackpool. Uh, right. Well, in anyway, li- in, back to inheritance tax. In Liz, we trust. <laughs> it would seem, uh, as do a number of Conservative MPs. Right. What What is this all about? What is Liz Truss up to here? We've gone from that hilarious moment where she was doing a speech a couple of weeks ago. And uh, and she got many replies because it looked like she was she was in a in a in a in a window box of flowers because the lectern was decorated with flowers and Liz Truss's head was poking out the top, and uh, <laughs> I think it was either Jess I think it was Jess Phillips replied saying are you are you growing in a window box of flowers, <laughs> which was thoroughly entertaining. I'll fact check that while you explain to us why on earth she's she's launching this campaign with the Telegraph and Conservative MPs to scrap inheritance tax. Um. Because there is a large section of the uh, uh, very large section of the Conservative Party that have long been worried about the fact that taxes in this country are at a uh, seventy-year high, the Conservatives, if they stand for nothing else, uh, are you know, traditionally the party of small taxes, small state, low taxes. Um, there are obviously a number of perfectly legitimate reasons why that, that is now not the case, but they are making the argument in the run-up to an election that uh, taxation has itself become a drag on growth in this country. Uh, and ideologically, as well as economically, the Conservatives need to get back to being a tax-cutting party. Um, and in essence... Liz Truss's handling of her political views and economic views uh, was poor, but the message that she was trying to convey uh, in the brief spell when she was the Prime Minister was the right one. It's the right economic prescription for the country to free it from rules and regulations, to slash taxes as a way of growth. Um, and then we come back to the to the Conservative battle that we had all of last summer during the leadership battle, which was, uh, on the one hand, uh, a group of Conservatives that think you cut taxes Mm. um, and that itself creates growth. And on the other hand, you have Rishi Sunak, who is, by instinct, a fiscal Conservative, by the way, and uh, Thatcher is his uh, hero, but, like Thatcher, argues that you cannot cut taxes until you squeeze down inflation. Um, uh, inflation is the you know the greatest scourge of all and the greatest threat to economic growth and productivity in this country. So that needs to be squeezed down first before you can move on to tax cutting. So we're back weirdly in the row that we were in last summer uh, about the sequential nature of what you do to speed growth. Gosh. Uh, it's quite something. By the way, I have fact-checked myself. Um, so this was Liz Truss speaking in Taipei. She tweeted a photo of her against what is basically a pure white background, but beh- speaking from behind a lectern with flowers on top of it. And it was Emily Thornbury who replied, are you growing in a window box? Uh, <laughs> which I thought... <laughs> I absolutely love... Uh, I mean, if you can do another... Fa- I can't remember who it was, but um, it... Uh, it made me roar with laughter at the time. I love press photographers when they catch politicians in on lecterns and stuff. And I think they did one once. It might have been Gordon Brown. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. And he had two big microphones, those old microphones with the heads on them. Yeah. And some brilliant press photographer caught them, like, basically over his eyes. And it just, I don't know why, it was just incredibly funny. And it 
Uh, it still makes me laugh, but, you know, all those... Uh, the, the one sort of SPAD 101 they teach you is if you're going to, you know, go out on a job with your principal uh, and they need to be photographed or uh, interviewed on site, never hand them standing in front of an exit sign. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's like in the thick of it where Nicola Murray is campaigning for um, a potent, uh, candidate, Liam Bentley, and the, the positioning of her, the backdrop then reads, I am bent. And uh, it's, <laughs> it's during her husband getting caught up in a PPI um, scandal. The other one that PFI, made me laugh. PFI scandal, PFI. Sorry. The other one that made me laugh. Um, uh, and I think it might have been the making of BuzzFeed, actually, I seem to remember. Uh, was there was a, a particular, I mean, when, when doesn't this country flood? Um, <laughs> yeah. But there was a particular period of, of, I don't know, excessive flooding in this country uh, which provoked a load of MPs to go out and stand in sort of floodwaters in wellies, and BuzzFeed did a you know top top twelve welly shots of MPs all you know standing with their like feet up on flood defences and sandbags and things, and it was just just something sort of you know uh, beautifully British and very funny about you know uh, welly shot MPs out in flood hit communities. <laughs> It does, um, it, does, yeah. it does strike me that Liz Truss might be more susceptible to those sorts of photo ops than others. For I don't really know why, but she just sort of has that innocent, blundering, meandering around sort of look on her face the whole time. I am, I am currently reading the uh, Liz Truss uh, uh, book about the, you know, the, the, the curious rise and spectacular mm. fall of Liz Truss, uh, 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 Out of the Blue, um, by Harry Cole. And James Hill of the Spectator, uh, and I've got to that point where she's uh, working in, you know, she's Secretary of State for the Department of International Transport, uh, Trade, Transport, <laughs> International Trade. Yeah. Sorry, uh, General <laughs> Anaesthetic still making itself felt there <laughs> you, in my brain. You were absolutely um, excused. And uh, they they call it the Department for Instagramming Trust because, <laughs> you know, and it's just got these wonderful details about her turning up at. You know, to to meet various dignitaries across the world, and you know, like yes, 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 I'll, I'll get to them in a minute. But I want this shot outside, you know, Sydney Harbour or Brooklyn Bridge, or and the whole kind of diplomatic mission is put on hold for like half an hour or an hour while she, you know, takes thirty, forty shots so that she's got the right one. It gets in the car with you know senior officials, and you know she's completely ignoring the briefing she's getting while she's going through the pictures to. Uh, to find the right one for approval to put out, it's quite extraordinary. But you know, uh, you know, pictures, uh, pictures are very much part and parcel mm. of image making these days. And you know, for her, you know, it was very much part of the profile raising of 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 her, um, yeah. uh, and it helped shape. Uh, you know, the, the the party's image of her, yeah, uh, and was part of that. You know, overspun brand of of you know good positive uh, trade deals post Brexit, which was really just a, a great big slew of rollover EU deals with a you know with a rubber stamp on them. Mm. Uh, but hats off to her for you know spinning that out of all existence. Yeah, sorry, a deadly wasp has just entered my house. Oh gosh, no. <laughs> so if I'm if I'm weaving around, just ignore me. I'm just trying not to get stung. My 
The way my luck's going, I feel this possibly going to head straight for me. <laughs> thoroughly enjoying our meandering podcast today. Uh, right, let's... <laughs> oh, I see it. I can see it. Oh, my goodness. Do you want I'm to swat sh- it with something? No, let me just shut the door. All right, okay. I'm going to leave this in the edit, by the way. <laughs> we'll call it B-gate. Oh, shit. <laughs> <That's-> <laughs> that is Kirsty's microphone. <laughs> Uh, it's just collapsed as she chases a wasp around the <laughs> front room. <laughs> oh, gosh. This is all staying in. I'm leaving all of this in. It's very authentic. Can I just explain? Yeah. That. Uh, oh, my gosh. I think I might have broken it. Oh, no, I haven't. Okay. Um, but part of my uh, healing uh, of my latest operation revolves around having a battery attached to my body. Oh, yeah. Uh, which has a long kind of lead on it. Uh, as I went to shut the door, the long lead of my uh, of my medical equipment has just oh, no. swept my microphone off the <laughs> desk, which is what that clattering sound was. So right. apologies, but are my... you okay? Has the wasp or the bee gone? The wasp has gone. Good. The the medical equipment seems to be functioning still, Good. and presumably you can hear me, and my microphone is. Unhurt by the incident. Loud and clear, I'm pleased Marvellous. to say. Right, so tra- This is all very professional, isn't it? I, we really must do one when I'm, you know, uh, whacked out of a general anaesthetic again sometime. It's uh, I would it's like odd. it. I would like it if, you know, have you seen those videos online of people who, um, I think it is some sort of general anaesthetic or, or sort of laughing gas type thing. Mostly in America, it has to be said, when they've had sort of dental surgery and then they're high as kites, basically, and their family film them talking absolute rubbish. I think we should all do a podcast like that. I think that'd be brilliant. I, I once had to have a tooth extracted and I insisted on having it done, I think, under general anaesthetic. And then, for some reason or other, they'd boot you out almost immediately. And my friend came to pick me up. And as I walking through the... Um, you know, the waiting room where all these really frightened people are about to go in and have some quite major dental work. For some inexplicable reason, I walk out going, well, hello, darling, looking swell, darling. Don't know why. Putting on a show, literally performing. (laughs) And singing hello, Dolly, to all these frightened people. Very weird. Well, I'm sure they felt very reassured by it. (laughs) My friend trying to bundle me out as quickly as possible. Oh, gosh. Uh, Right, the reason we were mentioning Liz Truss and her inheritance plan uh, inheritance tax plan is because Rishi Sunak is out of the country, um, albeit for just the day to day, a really quick trip to Moldova uh, to take part in, well, a sort of summit of EU leaders, um, basically, a bit later on today. It is really, really quick. Uh, and then he comes back from that and then he's off to Washington, D.C. next week, where he'll be meeting uh, with Joe Biden. They'll be discussing AI, we understand, among other things. Uh, but this trip to Moldova is, um, is literally, I mean, it's actually less than a day trip. But anyway, it's today. Uh, before he goes to the US. And I wonder if there's an element, Kirsty, of this Telegraph front page sort of causing, as political put it, a bit of a headache, turning into a migraine for Rishi Sunak. While he's out of the country, the Conservative MPs can sort of have the run of the day and they can talk about inheritance tax. Uh, yeah, and I, th- I think he's got a press conference at two o'clock today. Uh, and much as uh, last week when he was away, was it last week when he was away in Japan? Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, I think, um, the G7. Uh, Thank you. And the you know, and the first question up in his press conference was about Suella Braverman, which you will recall led to a slightly grumpy response from mm. him about, you know, has anyone got any questions about the actual summit? You know, uh, Rishi Sunak is discovering what all prime ministers discover very quickly and quite painfully is that, you know, you can go abroad, but your domestic problems will follow you 
Um, and quite often they will dominate whatever it is that you're trying to do uh, with the greatest will in the world. Um, and what is it that Sunak is trying to do? Well, uh, he's trying to uh, correct some of the mistakes made uh, by both Boris Johnson and Liz Truss. Uh, he's trying to uh, restore Britain's reputation on the global uh, on the global political scene. You know, we became a laughing stock mm. uh, under under Liz Truss. Um, and he's trying to repair some of the relations damaged by uh, Boris Johnson's, you know, brutal, hardline Brexit at any costs departure from the EU. Now, you know, Sunak is an internationalist. You know, he was educated at, at Stanford. Uh, he was an investment banker before he went into politics. He's a global thinker um, and has always... Uh, viewed Britain uh, as part of a global community. Um, and he's he's making in in the summits and the uh, and the events he's going to and, and next month there's a there's a NATO summit that he will attend in in Lithuania or Vilnius. Uh, he's making the point that you know that the, the problems that Britain faces are the problems that you know that the the world faces at the moment. You know, the threat of AI, which is something he'll be talking to Biden about when he goes to see him next week, the US president. Uh, Russian aggression and how liberal democracies deal with Russian aggression in Ukraine. Uh, the global problems of immigration. Immigration and mass immigration is not a problem reserved uh, for Britain or even the European Union. Um, and as climate change continues to take hold... Uh, the issues of mass immigration and, you know, the political volatility caused by uh, unchecked aggression by uh, by countries that, that that don't abide by the you know international rules based order of things will become an ever greater problem and they require global solutions. So he's trying to uh, create uh, you know a kind of a global mindset around, you know, problem solving mm. some of these issues. He is one of life's natural problem solvers. He's trying to restore our reputation and he's trying to rebuild relationship. He's put particular emphasis on uh, restoring good relations with Emmanuel Macron, the European political community meeting uh, in Moldova is Macron's baby, if you like. It's yeah. his... Uh, it's his idea um, and his the driving force behind it. Uh, he's trying to restore relations with uh, Biden um, and the meeting that he will have with Biden follows on from Biden uh, coming to uh, Northern Ireland, briefly and to Ireland over the Good Friday Agreement's 25th anniversary in April. Um, and he's trying to restore relationships with the EU. He's got a, you know, he's worked very hard on rebuilding relationships with uh, European President Ursula von der Leyen. And uh, and the reason he's been able to do some of this is because of the Windsor framework. It's tried to uh, square the circle, if you like, of the Northern Ireland Protocol. But here is, as ever, the centre-right sting in this tale. Mm. Um, one of his five pledges uh, 
for the election is to stop the boats, stop the illegal uh, immigration across the Channel. Um, now, few people believe that by the time of the next election, uh, he will have succeeded in stopping the boats. Um, and within the party, there is pressure, if he doesn't succeed in that pledge, to withdraw Britain from the European Convention on Human Rights. Uh, now, that would put him back on a collision course, both with the e European Union uh, and with the US President Joe Biden, because, uh, as you know, the uh, European Convention of Human Rights is written into the Good Friday Agreement. Yeah. Um, so he will come under increasing pressure from within his own party to do that. Uh, he will... Uh, you know, he will be caught again between the Skiller and Charybdis of this because if he does this to appease his own party, uh, he will alienate Britain again and uh, destroy all the hard work that he's been doing on rebuilding our reputation and restoring our relationship. And, by the way, he will put us in the same category as Russia, which is one of the few countries that has withdrawn from the convention. So I find it highly unlikely that he will do that. But again, it puts him on a collision course with a substantial rump mm. of his party. And that is the rump that is around, that loosely coalesces around Boris Johnson and, and Liz Truss. Now, um, uh, I have a, I, I, it's not a prediction, but I would be, I would be surprised uh, if all things being equal, that Boris Johnson doesn't stand down at the next election. Yeah. Um, uh, and so, you know, a lot of this will coalesce back around Liz Truss uh, and, you know, Suella Braverman. But what is clear is none of this is going to go away. And a lot of what we see around Suella Braverman's increasing challenges around the inheritance tax, etc., is a group of blue wall, as a you know the, the, the original blue wall yeah. uh, MPs, who many of whom uh, are facing two way fights with the Liberal Democrats in what used to be safe Conservative seats, worried, you know, worried about their election chances. And when you're worried about your own seat, party loyalty, prime ministerial loyalty collective responsibility kind of goes out the window. Yeah. It's often, I often am struck by the presence of the same characters all at this point. You know, they haven't gone away. They're still around. It's Boris Johnson. It's Liz Truss. Clearly, it's Rishi Sunak. That's fine. But it's these sorts of people. Suella Braverman. They're the same people who are leading the leading causes of headaches for the Prime Minister. And I just I think that's a kind of inescapable thing that these they just circle around and around and around and the spotlight often often ends up on them again and their policies and their directions. Um and that'll you know, it will be the case, won't it, from now until the next well, election. Well, and it is you know, and to some certain extent this isn't a person you know, if there is some kind of uh, relief in this, this isn't a personality problem anymore. This is an ideological battle that's now being fought. And it's a battle between conservatives who say, you know, we are or should be and always have been a party of small state uh, and low taxes. And we want to see uh, delivery on that from our prime minister. Now, that is 100% Rishi Sunak's instincts, but... We are coming off the back of unprecedented levels of borrowing. Uh, we have 
next to no growth in this country and uh, core inflation that isn't coming down as quickly as as hoped. Mm. We have uh, a very tight labour market. Um, and like I say, we're coming back to that sequential argument about what you need to do to speed growth. Do you squeeze inflation out or do you cut taxes and that fuels growth? And the irony of all of this is for me that all of those that are lying around, you know, the, the, the pro-growth group, the conservative growth group, uh, the conservative democratic organisation, all of those allies of of Boris Johnson and particularly of Liz Truss, uh, have forgotten the fundamental tenets of Thatcherism, mm. which is that, you know, inflation is the destroyer of all and you cannot speed growth or cut taxes until you have squeezed inflation out of the economy. Really interesting, Kirsty. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you. I've got to go to the gym now, which is thoroughly unexciting. I've got to go and lay down again. Oh, gosh. <laughs> And take some more painkillers. Yeah. <laughs> Quite right. Well, thank you. It's been really interesting. Lots covered there, including Kirsty's mugs, um, the invasion of a wasp, uh, stop the wasps. That's one of Kirsty's pledges, I think, for her <laughs> ongoing campaign. <laughs> Uh, I'm prepared uh, to withdraw from any convention in order to stop the wasps. Stop the wasps. Uh, thank you very much for being with us on Whitehall Sources this week. Make sure you follow and subscribe and do tell a friend that we're here as well. Uh, we'll be back next week with some added uh, former Labour SPAD inputs as well. As well. Uh, yes, stay with us for that. Uh, thanks for being there. Uh, until next week, uh, have a good one and goodbye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.